How to stay positive. Hello, my cubicle confident, open space secure, corner office composed, home den decisive, and coffee shop self assured. My name is Brock Armstrong, and I am here to make you into a workplace hero. A workplace hero is a particular type of superhero who remains calm at crunch time, is the voice of reason when everyone else is losing it, and is someone who always has something positive to say no matter how bleak the outlook. Sounds pretty great, right? Now, a few episodes ago, we were talking about to-do lists. You might remember that episode. You can check it out at workplacehero.me to-do. And I said something along the lines of... It might not seem like much, but self-talk is a really important part of our self-esteem and confidence. By working on and getting more positive self-talk, you're more likely to get things done and feel more in control of stuff that's going on in your life. Well, after that episode came out, I received a few messages from some listeners out there who wanted to know more about this positive self-talk and how they can use it in their work life. One fellow was having trouble seeing the positive side of some major setbacks at work and and kind of felt stuck in an extremely negative loop in his head. A young woman wrote in saying that she gets stressed out way too easily and she thought that maybe positive self-talk could help her. Another woman wrote in saying that she manages a large team and was wondering if she could use positive self-language as a motivator for her team. Well, I wrote back to all three of those people and told them that I would put it on the list to cover in a future episode. Well, today is where I put my money where my mouth is. Yep, today's all about language. And I don't mean English versus Espanol versus Francaise. I mean the positive and the negative kind of language that we use on ourselves and our co-workers and our family and our friends and mostly on ourselves and how it affects us. Over at the website work911.com, they break it down like this. Negative phrasing and language often have the following characteristics. One, it tells the recipient what cannot be done. Number two, it has a subtle tone of blame. Number three, it includes words like can't, won't, and unable to that tell the recipient what the sending agency cannot do. And number four, does not stress positive actions that would be appropriate or positive consequences. Now, the positive phrasing and language has the following qualities. Number one, it tells the recipient what can be done. Number two, it suggests alternatives and choices available to the recipient. Number three, it sounds helpful and encouraging rather than bureaucratic. And number four, it stresses positive actions and positive consequences that can be anticipated. Now, I'm sure you are all familiar with the naysayer, that person who often offers criticism or provides reasons why something won't work and is often extremely gifted at picking holes in your amazing ideas. If you've ever worked with a naysayer, or if you happen to be one, you'll know that this type of negative communication is exhausting. The constant challenging of the naysayer, while sometimes can stimulate discussion, also creates a negative environment and can increase confrontation. The interesting thing, and I think this is key to today's topic, is that naysayers don't always have a negative attitude. In many cases, they simply use the language that gives the impression of negativity. They've simply not learned how to phrase their comments in a more constructive or positive way. And as we will learn later, being negative, even when you don't think you're being negative, does just as much damage to our psyche and nervous system as actually being negative. 
It's alarmingly easy to fall into the negative language pattern. Many of us do so without even being aware, particularly in written communication. I know I've been guilty of this in emails. I'm trying to be quick, but I come across as a jerk. Again, in that same article over at work911.com, they look at the typical government memo and break it down like this. This is the original. We regret to inform you that we cannot process your application to register your business name since you have neglected to provide sufficient information. Please complete all, that was in all caps, sections of the attached form and return it to us. So, while the letter seems polite, albeit overly formal, it's also exceedingly negative. It includes several negative words like cannot and neglected, and it has the tone that suggests that the recipient is to blame for the problem. Contrast that with this version of it, and you'll see it has a much more positive approach. Congratulations on your new business. To register your business name, we need some additional information. If you return the attached form with the highlighted areas filled in, we will be able to send you your business registration certificate within two weeks. We wish you success in your new endeavor. The negative example tells the person what he or she has done wrong and doesn't highlight the things that can be done to remedy the problem. The information is all there, but it sounds bureaucratic, cold, and, well, what I would call poopy. The positive example sounds completely different and, oddly enough, contains almost the identical information. Now you might be wondering, does this really have an effect on us? Well, it's true. Positive language can literally change your brain. Positive words like peace, love, and compassion strengthen areas of the brain's frontal lobes and promote cognitive function. In simple terms, hearing and using positive language can make you feel great, physically, mentally, and emotionally. On the flip side, negative language can actually block the brain's natural de-stressing mechanisms. According to Andrew Newberg, MD, and Mark Robert Waldman in their book, Words Can Change Your Brain, quote, by holding a positive and optimistic word in your mind, you stimulate frontal lobe activity. This area includes specific language centers that connect directly to your motor cortex responsible for moving you into action. And as our research has shown, the longer you concentrate on positive words, the more you begin to affect other areas of your brain. Functions in the parietal lobe start to change, which changes your perception of yourself and the people you interact with. A positive view of yourself will bias you towards seeing the good in others, whereas a negative self-image will include you towards suspicion and doubt. Over time, the structure of your thalamus will also change in response to your conscious words, thoughts, and feelings, and we believe that the thalamic changes affect the way in which you perceive reality." End quote. In a nutshell, that means that positive words can actually alter the expressions of genes, strengthen areas in your frontal lobes, and promote the brain's cognitive function. You can actually picture them kicking the motivational centers of the brain into action. Conversely, hostile language can disrupt specific genes that play a key part in the production of neurochemicals that protect us from stress. Now, it is a bummer, but we humans are hardwired to worry, and this is part of our primal brain that's perking up and trying to protect us from threats. So our thoughts naturally go to negativity first. For example, a single negative word can increase the activity in our amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain. 
and that releases dozens of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters, which in turn interrupts our brain's functioning. Angry words can literally send alarm messages through the brain, and they partially shut down the logic and reasoning centers located in the frontal lobes. Yikes. In an article at goodnet.org called How to Turn 11 Everyday Phrases from Negative to Positive by Elena Goldberg, she says that as well as adding some sparky positive words into your everyday language, like certainly, great, and definitely, it is also worth taking a look at phrases you might be inadvertently using and give them a spin too. So here are 11 everyday phrases that can easily be replaced and give your vocabulary an instant positivity boost. Number one, why not, can be changed to sounds good. Number two, no problem, can be changed to definitely. Number three, can't complain, can be changed to everything's going well, thanks. Number four, I'm exhausted, can be changed to I need to rest. Number five, I forgot, can be changed to I'll make sure to set a reminder. Number six, unfortunately, it will be impossible to finish the project on time because some people are submitting their work late. Can be changed into, can everyone turn their portion of the project in by Thursday so that we can complete the work on time and hit the deadline? Number seven, constructive criticism. Can be changed to feedback. Number eight, don't throw the ball inside. <laughs> can be changed to, please take the ball outside. Number nine is straight up don't, which can be changed to I prefer it when or I like it when. Number 10, I missed you so much, can be changed to it's so great to see you. And number 11, no more ice cream, can be changed to I know you like ice cream, but eating too much isn't healthy. So far, we've mostly focused on talking to others, but there is also a huge benefit to focusing on positive self-talk as well. In an article at psychologytoday.com called The Power of Positive Self-Talk, they say that too often the pattern of self-talk we've developed in our lives is mostly negative. We remember the negative things we are told as children by our parents, siblings, and teachers. We remember the negative reactions from other children that diminished how we felt about ourselves. Throughout the years, these messages have played over and over in our minds, feeding our feelings of anger, fear, guilt, and hopelessness. It's important to point out, and our guest hero will definitely reiterate this in a few minutes, but positive self-talk is not the same as self-deception. Rather, positive self-talk is about recognizing the truth in the situations and in yourself. One of the fundamental truths is that you will make mistakes and you will occasionally fail. To expect perfection in yourself or anyone else is unrealistic, and we know this. To expect no difficulties in life, whether through your own actions or sheer circumstances, is also unrealistic. We have now reached the point in this episode where we need a guest hero. And man, do I have a good one for you this week. Plus, this week I'm going to do something a little bit different than I've done before, and it may make our podcast longer than you're used to, but I'm going to play almost the entire conversation that I had with my friend, Dr. Alessandra Wall. Here we go. 
Alessandra, can you, first of all, let the people know who you are and, and why they should listen to you? <laughs> sure. Well, they should just listen to me because I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, no. Hi, my name is Dr. Alessandra Wall, and I am a clinical psychologist. I have been practicing in the field of psychology for nearly two decades at this point. Um, and I specialize in anxiety and stress management. And on the side, I also have a what I call a lifestyle designer coaching business. So I spend my days working with people, helping them understand how they look at the world, how that perspective impacts the choices they make and how those choices impact the kind of life they live. So, okay, well, let's start with just sort of a normal day in in your life when you're dealing with some of your clients. What are the things that you're seeing as, that are a result of, of this negative talk or not focusing on the positive? It's all part of, of something that I think media is starting to talk about a lot more. Certainly, professional coaches, athletic coaches, lifestyle coaches will talk about a lot and psychologists all the time, which is that your mindset, the way you look at the world really, really affects the course of your life and the things you can or can't do. I know the idea here was to talk about positive thinking, but I think there are a lot of myths around that. Mm. When when people talk about mindset, there's the assumption, and it's a fallacy, I'll start off right away with that, that if I just start thinking positively, things will go better. Mm. But if you're in a situation where it's important to feel anxious or feel angry or feel sad and you try to artificially make yourself think positively, there's going to be dissonance. There's going to be a disconnect between what's happening and the way you're trying to force yourself to feel. And that's incredibly uncomfortable, but it also means that that connection again between the way you see the world and what you do and what's actually happening will be off. So more important than positive thinking what I teach my patients is to have balanced or I like to call it full spectrum thinking. Well, so so really what it comes down to is, is you can't actually lie to yourself. Is that yes, what you're saying? Absolutely. And it's not that simple. I think a lot of people end up feeling extremely powerless and defective because the way the message about mindset is coming out is portrayed as well, you should just think positive. If you think positively, good things will happen. If you think positively, you can do anything you want to. And the average human being who tries to do this is going to find that, you know, some things might improve. They might start to notice good things in their life a little bit more, but it doesn't lead to the magical changes that are toted in media. And when that happens and you assume that this is a truth, if I think positively good things will happen, then you start feeling like really an utter failure yourself because there must be something incredibly wrong with you if it's not working for you. Now, I'm I'm tempted to say what should people do instead, <laughs> but I don't want to use that word should because I know that's We're a pet talk peeve about of yours. That. Yeah, yeah should, is a, should is a huge pet peeve of mine. But before we get that to, the, to why it's a pet peeve of mine and why it's relevant to your listeners, mm -hmm. my recommendation to people would be to start off first paying attention to how they think, right? And and a really easy way to pay attention to how you think starts with paying attention to how you feel. So are you walking around most days feeling generally calm and okay and easygoing? Or are you walking around most days feeling uh, angry, resentful, burdened, uh, oppressed, imposed upon? 
If you notice that you're walking around most of the time with pretty negative emotions, then chances are your thinking is pretty negative. And it's an easy way to kind of identify whether or not your mindset is what I would call that full spectrum balance mindset, or whether your mindset is a narrow mindset, in this case, narrowly in the negative end of things. So the idea is to when things upset you, pay attention to what you're telling yourself about what's happened. So let me give you an example. Yeah, that's probably relevant to most people. And if anybody listening self identifies as a perfectionist, this will be especially relevant Hmm. to you. So the difference between a perfectionist and somebody who strives for excellence is perspective, it's mindset. One could argue part of it is about positive self talk. When both individuals are faced with hardship, when both individuals are faced with a failure, they have very different ways of viewing that. The perfectionist is going to look at failure and have a very negative mindset about it. They're going to say, I failed because I wasn't good enough. This has to do with my imperfection. And perfectionists tend to think that if they failed at something, they go for absolute thinking and then they'll say, this means I am a failure. And most perfectionists are driven by an incredible fear of failure and not so much by a desire for excellence. Hmm. The person who strives for excellence, which is what ideally you want to get perfectionists to shift from that to becoming a person who strives for excellence, will fail. And their mindset is very different. And we could use the word positive. It is much more positive. What they will say is, huh, I failed. That must mean I approached the problem incorrectly or I missed something. Therefore, there is a learning opportunity. And they're going to look at that failure as a data point, rather than as proof of their inability or incompetence. And because they have a different, again, I can use the word more positive if you want, more positive outlook on what failure means, they're going to take that experience and grow from it. Whereas the perfectionist is going to experience failure as something very personal and very negative and potentially very distressing. And that distress can be expressed either as anxiety, often as anxiety, but also sometimes in extreme cases as depression. So a lot of times when people, mindset coaches or athletic coaches are talking to you about having a more positive mindset, really what they're talking about is being able to look at an event or look at situations from full spectrum and not just from only the negative spectrum of what an event might mean. Now that makes complete sense. The The trick would be being able to identify that in yourself because sometimes we're so busy getting caught up in the in the emotion or maybe even going as far as playing the blame game and, and sort of trying to figure out like I'm feeling bad, whose fault is this? How how do we get to the point where we can actually like really step back and identify that those are the feelings we're having? There are a couple of ways of doing this. So the the long term way of doing it, if if this as if you're listening to this and you realize you have a tendency really to have negative outlook and which again is just a biased perspective, right? And you want to change it and you want to create a long, long, long term change. I would say the initial step you can take, as I said, is Take the time throughout your day to just stop and check in with yourself. And checking in means that you ask yourself, how am I feeling right now? Where in my body am I carrying tension? And yes, I am assuming that 
you're carrying tension because we all do throughout the day. We just accumulate it. Mm-hmm. And then you look for incidents in your day that might have triggered that tension. So what's going on that I'm feeling tense? And what is it about these events that's making me tense? And as you do that, you're going to become more and more aware of your, of the way you think, of the mindset you have, of the assumptions that you walk around with, of uh, the self-limiting beliefs you have. And by initially creating insight, and that's just the first step, just becoming aware of it, eventually you can start taking action, right? Now, if you're sitting here listening to that going, holy crap, I have so many things to do in a single day. The last thing I can do, the last thing I have time for right now is to stop and do all this work, plus like figuring out how I feel is really difficult and Mm. you just feel overwhelmed by it. You can start a little bit more simply um, and one tool I have, one one thing we as psychologists use is we have this list of common thought distortions. Now, all of us have distortions in how we see the world. And in psychology, over time, we've created these lists, depending on whose list you're looking at, anywhere from 10 to 15 different common thought distortions. And the beauty with having that list And knowing what these thought distortions are is that you can really rapidly identify and label a thought. And if you label a thought as being part of that list, then you know that it is a thought that needs to be changed or reframed. So here's one for somebody who might think that they never have distorted thoughts. Okay. If if you have ever woken up one day or gone about a day and thought, nothing ever works out for me, Mm -hmm. that thought nothing ever works out for you is a thought distortion. And a lot of people will say, well, yeah, 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 I know that. I'm just, I'm just exaggerating. But it's important to recognize that that's a thought distortion because the way you think impacts the way you feel, which changes the way you act. And all of those things impact your situations. And that loop, that cycle just repeats itself. We have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. So that loop repeats itself 60 to 70,000 times a day. Which means that if I have multiple distortions, I can really throw myself into a bad loop, into a negative cycle of thinking. If I truly, fundamentally believe that nothing is ever working out for me, if that thought were in fact a fact, it would be reasonable for me to feel helpless, hopeless, and potentially terrified. Right? I mean, yeah. just imagine if that were factually true. Yeah, Nothing's I can't, working I can't out imagine for that's that's horrible. <laughs> And what that would technically throw you into is becoming extremely passive and retreated. Hmm. Now, for most people, the truth is when that thought pops in our mind, it makes us feel a little bit miserable and we dismiss it. But I can tell you, having worked with people who are depressed, for example, that that thought seems much more real to them and the impact on their life is huge. So we we all do this. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to have an anxiety disorder to have thought distortions we all have really simple thought disorders. So I have a list that I'll share with you, Brock, but some of the uh, top ones that I can think of, we'll start with my, my pet peeve, is uh, shooting, yeah. right? I talk about shooting all over yourself. <laughs> and you'll see this all the time. People will say, oh, I know, I, I should have I checked those numbers. I should have uh, made that call. I should have uh, chosen this track. I shouldn't have done this other thing. And the way people use should is, first of all, often in hindsight. 
And it's often to blame themselves or because they feel guilty or ashamed of a choice they've made. The problem I should in, in hindsight is this. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. It is so easy to look back on what you've done, on the choices you've made with new information and determine whether the, a track you took was right or not. The other problem with should is implicit in our minds when we use the word should is the idea that whatever we're talking about was a fact or a rule. So mm. if I should have done something, it is a factual evidence that I should have done this, or is a rule, and I did not, then I failed. Yeah. Right? If I, if I really should be going to the gym, and I don't, then somehow I'm failing. But if I can create a shift, and the shift for should is, is this. I tell patients all the time as they're talking, and I hear them shooting all over themselves. I know I should do this, I should do that. I'll stop, and I'll say, hold on. Who says you should go to the gym? I know you want to be healthy. It's important to be healthy, but if you tell me you're run down, you had three hours of sleep, and you're exhausted and stressed, why should you go to the gym? I might yeah. say, well, it's Tuesday. I go to the gym on Tuesdays. I'm like, let's ch change this. I would like to go to the gym. I could go to the gym. I might wish to go to the gym, but the should needs to move away because it is neither a fact nor a rule. Yeah. Right. However, if I throw a knife up in the air and I do not wish to be stabbed, I should... <laughs> move out of the way of the knife. I see. Yeah, gotcha. So it's not that should is this word that you have to ban from your vocabulary. It's just it is used all the time. And the impact on us is to feel guilty or to feel like we failed. So it's about stopping and realizing how often you tell yourself should when really what you mean is I would like to, I wish I could have. And so making that change in the way that you're either saying it out loud or saying it in your head, will that help to create a more positive just because we're talking about positivity, uh, a more positive sort of lifestyle or presence? Absolutely. You know, what you find is over time when people can make that distinction, two things happen. One is they start feeling far less overwhelmed and, and oppressed by the choices that they have out there, right? Because if I should see my friends, but I also should rest and I should get my work done and I should go to the gym yeah. and I can't get all of that done, I'm going to feel very overwhelmed. And I'm going to really feel like I am a, a bad friend. I'm not healthy. I'm not productive. I'm not taking care of myself. So one of the ways in which it creates a, a huge positive benefit is simply by freeing us from feeling guilty and bound to do things. The other way in which it creates an incredibly positive effect is that it forces us to consider our choices. If I stop and ask myself, should I do this? Could I do this? Or would I like to do this? I start really thinking about what do I want? What do I need? And my choices become far more aligned with the person I am or want to be rather than being based simply on what I see on Facebook, what my friends are doing, what my parents tell me I should be doing, or my boss or my spouse or anybody else. Wow, that is so powerful. Very cool. Couple other common thought disorders. And as I said, there's a list and I'll share a list with you that I think has 10 or 12 elements on it. I yeah, and I'll make sure that's on the on the Workplace Hero at workplacehero.me slash positive. We'll make sure to put a link to that. Uh, one that I see all the time in people is called mind reading. And mm -hmm. this this stuff comes from cognitive behavioral theory. And the nice thing with cognitive uh, behavioral theory is that it's very user-friendly in its terminology. So the things sound like what they are. <laughs> so mind reading is exactly that. It's our assumption that we know what somebody else is thinking, right? And so if I catch myself and I identify that I'm assuming I know what another person is thinking, but I haven't spoken to them directly, 
that allows me to realize that I'm playing a fantasy out in my head and that that fantasy is not necessarily truth, mm. right? And that happens all the time. People mm-hmm. will see a colleague frown or their boss. This is the one I love because it's happened to me before when I used to have a boss. Your boss will pass by you in the hall and say, um, when you have a minute, come into my office. Ooh. And, and you look and they were, they were their tone was off. They were scowling and you're like, oh, I'm in trouble. I did something wrong. They're going to fire me. They think that I really screwed up on this, 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 is this. And there are actually two, two thought distortions that are happening there. First of all, it's the mind reading. I'm assuming I know what my boss thinks when I have no idea. And the second thought distortion that's occurring is called fortune telling, which is also very clear. I'm assuming I can read the future. I can predict what's going to happen. And what will happen immediately when those two thought distortions pop up is, in my specific example, you will be very, very stressed. So if there are three hours left before you see your boss, you are now distracted, anxious, you're thinking. Uh, especially your reasoning is compromised from all that anxiety being there. And you are living in this fantasy world where the things that you assume to be true in your head are actually real and you are miserable. And then you get into your boss's office and he might say, hey, you know, I got off a really annoying call with somebody earlier today, but I was thinking that idea you mentioned in the meeting last week was really good. Let's talk about how we can implement that. Yeah, right? so that explains the the sort of miserable tone of voice, but it's still a positive thing. So what I tell my patients is a lot of times, you know, try to remember to think about what you know is true rather than what you assume to is true. What yeah. I what I know to be true. Which brings me to yet another thought distortion. What if? Right? What ifing is very common in people who have anxiety. Uh, and what ifing leads to this kind of thinking that's called catastrophizing. And it starts something like this. You have to, and and actually this comes up a lot for me as a coach. I'll have uh, clients come to me who want to make some kind of life change. And initially when most people start off, they know that they want something to change, but they don't know what. And then we work together. We start identifying what they need. We start identifying what really matters to them. And they get to a place where they can clearly outline a goal a change that they want to make. And then fear and uncertainty creeps in. And it creeps in in the form of what ifs. What if this doesn't work? What if uh, it's not the right choice? What if I make a mistake? What if I fail? Mm. Or worse, what if I succeed? Mm. And Mm. so when I have patients or when I have clients who come and we notice that they're what ifing themselves, I tell them to stop and to focus on what is. What is, is I've done all the work, I've identified that this is something I need, that this is one way in which this need can be expressed, and part of me is really excited. What is, is if I fail, I learn something. What is, is if I get fired from a job, I'll find a way to find another job. You know, it's this sticking with what I know to be true, or what is, is my boss just asked me to meet him in his office. And End of story, right, right then. End that's, of story. That's all right? you need that's- to think about for the moment. Exactly. So there, there are several examples like this. As I said, we've talked about shoulds, uh, fortune telling, thinking that you know what's going to happen, even though you you don't have that skill, or you would already be buying winning lottery tickets. Yeah, exactly. Uh, mind reading, also a skill you don't have. What ifing, and then catastrophizing. Those are just five of ten or more. I mean, I could throw the names out. There's minimizing and maximizing. Right. That's the whole making a mountain out of a molehill. Absolute thinking. 
telling yourself you're a failure, you're a success, you're good or you're bad, things are great. Labeling, that's when uh, it's a simple one. It's when you assign a label to somebody and then you kind of uh, forget about anything else that might pertain to them that isn't associated with that label. So that person's that person's a loser. And I'm just not going to pay attention to anything else about them because all I, all I know about them, I've labeled them as a loser and it's the only thing I pay attention to. Yeah. And then personalization, which is one of the things we said perfectionists do, which is when bad things happen or when things happen, it's all about me, right? Like this project didn't work out because I wasn't good enough, because I wasn't able to make it work. And there's this tendency to bring everything back to yourself and to forget that other factors might have contributed to a situation. You know, I'm I'm just looking at I'm thinking about the three people who actually wrote in and suggested this as a as a topic, and I think we've given the first fellow who was having trouble breaking a, a negative loop in his head, we've given him tons of things to think about, and the the young woman who wrote in saying that she was getting stressed out too easily at work, and like obviously most of this could could be applicable to to her situation, but we had one other person, a woman, wrote in saying that she manages a large team and was wondering how she could use positive language to motivate the team. Do you have any advice for her? Yeah, I would start with uh, really watching out for those shoulds. Mm. That would be a huge thing, right? As you're talking to your team, this is what we should do. This is So should can start with like need. That's another way. I mean, it's just a variant on it. You need to do this. We need to do this. We have to do this. Um, so really thinking about that, but also one of the biggest recommendations I would have for anybody who's working with a team, but this also works for you guys as parents or in communication with your spouses is in terms of positive thinking is talking to people about what you need them to do or what you want them to do or what they can do rather than talking to them about what they shouldn't be doing. Hmm. Uh, An example for a team might be instead of saying, okay, guys, we can't screw this up. We need to make sure that we don't end up with a product that is lacking these parts, right? That's all negative talk. It's all about absence of stuff to say, okay, guys, so what I want to make sure that we achieve is this, 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 mention things very specifically in order to end up with a product that has the following positive qualities. And when I say positive, I don't necessarily mean good. I just mean things that you can reach for as opposed to negative things that we don't want. I'm picturing the use of that language propelling somebody forward whereas using the the example that you gave of saying like we need to avoid these things that's not a Mm -hmm. you can't move forward on avoiding something but you can move forward on a this is what we need to achieve or what we want to achieve so i just want to remind people that a lot of times when when we when lay people think about positive thinking or rather the way it's portrayed in the media is nearly as this hyper optimistic cheerleaderish self-talk right let's go i'm wonderful i'm amazing things are great things are wonderful and what i'm saying is there's something very artificial about that and that isn't really what a lot of us think about um, a lot of us professionals are talking about when we talk about positive self-talk or positive thinking what most of us are referring to is being able and training yourself to analyze a situation or yourself and use the full spectrum of evidence you have in front of you or look at a situation broadly, not just paying attention to the negative aspects, not just paying attention to what you can't do if you're thinking about yourself, but also looking at what you know to be true that you can do or that is positive. 
So if I am facing something that's really complicated and I wanted to use positive self-talk, something that I know is going to be a challenge for me, I don't just want to wake up in the morning and go, you can do it. You're wonderful. You're amazing. You are so smart. You can achieve this. You can do anything you want. I mean, I'm sure that there's some element of that that would be beneficial, except that if I don't really believe those things, that's just going to sound hollow. <laughs> be like a Saturday Night Live sketch instead of a... <laughs> yes, I think of that scene in American Beauty when she's about to sell the house and she's like, I'm going to sell this house today. And she's uh, manically cleaning the house. <laughs> to try to get it sold. And I think she does not sell the house at the end of the day. So, but I think that's what people think about when they think about positive self-talk. Positive self-talk for the situation that I described might look something more like this. It might be sitting down and realizing that I'm having a lot of doubts about my ability to succeed at a project or something I'm working on and to, to stop and recognize, you know, I'm scared because I'm not really good at this, 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 and this. However, I am smart and I can I can figure this out. And if I can't figure it out, the great thing is I can find other people who can help me understand it or I can read on it. But just because I'm scared or just because I'm not really good at this or this doesn't mean I can't come up with a solution, doesn't mean I can't get better, right? That would be a form of far more effective, realistic, and also productive, positive self-talk. There's probably a bunch of people who didn't even download this episode because they were like, oh, I don't want to hear about just putting smiley face emojis all over the place. Like that's that's not actually helpful. But what you're saying is like, sure, you you can put the smiley face emojis if you like. But what really is important is is being realistic and mm -hmm. and being being proactive in that realism as well. Just not sitting back and going, oh, I'm screwed. That is exactly correct. And and that's what I, I would like your listeners to really think about. I mean, the, the cognitive, the list of cognitive distortions is, is a great tool. I recommend you download it, look at it, share it broadly with as many people as you can. It will hurt no one mm -hmm. to pay attention to that list. And while we're talking about that list, I think this is a perfect time to bring up the homework for this week because we always yes. give homework at, on Workplace Hero. So, so what can people do with that list for the next five business days after they listen to this podcast? So after you listen to this podcast, um, don't put it off. If you're near a computer, if you're on your phone, whatever, go to the website and download the list and then read through it. And you will notice, as I've said, that you have probably at least once in your life done every single one of those cognitive distortions. However, everybody has favorites. So I want you to look at that list and identify one, maybe two of those that you do the most frequently. And over the next five days, I want you to try to make a tally of how often you catch yourself thinking in that way. Ooh. Simply by paying attention, by doing a frequency count on those, you will realize that you start to shift your thinking. Because as I said, the second you realize that some thought pattern belongs in the cognitive distortion category, then you know that it's a thought that's inaccurate. And because of that, you will automatically start changing it. If you catch yourself saying, I should, I should, I should, the switch would be to stop and go, I could, I would like to, I wish to. Right. If you catch yourself what ifing and you would notice that because you'd start feeling really anxious about something or uncertain, 
you can stop and tell yourself what is. What is is this, this, this. What are the things I factually know to be true? And how can I make a decision on that? If you catch yourself thinking in extreme terms, always, never, things that in arguments with spouses, by the way, really lead to problems, right? Yeah. You never listen to me. You always do that. <laughs> you just moderate your language. You will find yourself moderating your language and going, well, it's not true that he always leaves the dirty dishes, but it's often. And that makes a difference. It's not true that I'm always late or that this coworker's always late, but they are often late. And that is frustrating. What do I want to do about it? But by shifting your language, by shifting that thought, you'll notice that you'll change. it changes how you feel and it'll change how you behave and you'll create a virtuous cycle of thought to emotion to behavior to situation. Oh, I want to call this podcast the, the virtuous cycle. I like that. <laughs> well, that is awesome. And I mean, if you if you guys don't go and download the, the list, if you're, if you're just not that inclined, I think just eliminating should for the next five days is a great place to start. But I do encourage you to go to workplacehero.me slash positive and, and check out that entire list and also find out all the other show notes. And we'll also include in the show notes how to find Alessandra and where can they find you? Uh, the best place to find me right now is online at lifeinfocussd.com. At lifeinfocussd.com. Yeah. Blog, there's a podcast. I haven't released anything in a year, but what's on there is fantastic. It is. <laughs> it is fantastic. I've listened to all of them. Brock is on there. Yeah, I was on there. And and there's some there there's a ton of updated information and resources on there too. So thank you so much, Alessandra. It was a wonderful having you on the podcast, and it was a great excuse for for us to connect too. I haven't talked to you in so long. I loved talking to you, and I agree, it was wonderful. And uh, thank you to the listeners for listening through. Thanks, listeners. Bye. <laughs> when negative events or mistakes happen. Positive self-talk simply seeks to bring the positive out of the negative to help you do better, go further, or keep you moving forward. The practice of positive self-talk is often the process that allows you to discover the hidden optimism, the hidden hope, and the hidden joy in any given situation. <laughs> Along with a few other little added benefits like altering your gene expression, strengthening areas in your frontal lobes, and promoting the brain's cognitive functioning. Workplace Hero is researched, written, narrated, and recorded by me, Brock Armstrong, in rainy downtown Vancouver. Editing help from Eleanor Cohen and podcast logo by Ken Cunningham. Music by my old band, The Irregular Heartbeats. Today's guest hero is the amazing Dr. Alessandra Wall. And like we said earlier, you can find her at lifeinfocussd.com. Now, go make this week positive.